I need to do something that is not Punic related as a sort of palate cleanser before I go any more mad than I already am. I grossly underestimated how long I would be spending on Hannibal. The next show is going to come in at about seven hours. So, I mean, you've got that to look forward to, which is something, but I've gone mad trying to get this thing done. I didn't say I'm going mad. It's already happened. I have gone mad, past tense. And if I have to look at the raw files for Hannibal 4 anymore, I am going to do something regrettable. I can actually identify the word battle by how the waveform looks now. You get used to it. I I don't even see the code. All I see is blonde, brunette, redhead. So here's a fun little something that I've been considering as an interstitial show for the eventuality that editing would drive me insane, as it has. In the brief moments that I've had between trying to get this goddamn monster of a show out and sleeping, because that's the only two things I do anymore, in those rare moments where I do have some time, I've been catching up on my reading, and I've been reading a book by the name of The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. And The Radium Girls is about how young women used to be employed to paint various surfaces, usually watch faces and aircraft equipment panels. They would be employed to paint those surfaces with radium-based paint. Because radium glows in the dark, which is a useful quality in a watch, or an aircraft equipment panel for that matter, and this book, The Radium Girls, explores how none of these women were ever informed that radium is highly fucking poisonous because it's, you know, radium. It's a radioactive element. That's why it glows. And people were genuinely trying to say, glowy thingy, not dangerous, don't worry about it. But the past was a wild time with less safety considerations, as we all know. In there, guys. Thanks, Homer. So these poor girls were ingesting a Chernobyl's worth of radium every day without ever being told of the dangers. Obviously, this was pre-Chernobyl, so radioactivity wasn't on everyone's mind back then, but still, it's dodgy behavior. And then, when these poor girls, when their bodies inevitably began to melt from the inside out, and they started dying in horrific ways because of the, again, radium that they were eating, the book tells the story of how they had to fight the corporations who kept telling them that having their jaws disintegrate was a perfectly normal thing for a 25-year-old woman to do. Some Boy Scouts stumbled on your little game of Hide the Ooze. It's a fascinating read. I highly recommend it. The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. And it got me thinking back to the time that I used to spend as an occupational health and safety officer, because I was an occupational health and safety officer, and how I too have had my battles against the capitalists. And how behind every seemingly tough and perhaps arcane safety restriction in the workplace, there are piles of corpses and gallons of blood. At least a few drops of which were actually mine, in the days before I started doing this show. There's a reason why I sit on my ass and yell about history instead of doing an actual job. It's because not all of my right leg is there anymore. I've been at the coalface. I know how things operate. So I wanted to do a little something along those lines, but as I just said, I can't do radium because it's already been done. Kate Moore, Radium Girls. So I thought that now would be as good a time as any for a short, possibly rambling story about one of the craziest events in modern history. Something so profoundly stupid that it ended up being the catalyst for why the transportation industry has so many rules and regulations. And, of course, I used to work in the transportation industry, so I've got skin in the game. I can offer you a little insight, maybe. 
Now, we can look back at the past in horror at the lack of health and safety regulations at pretty much any point in history, and that's something that we definitely should be cognizant of, but perhaps we should cut the people in history some slack. In a lot of cases, they honestly didn't know how horrible things were especially in the Victorian era when everything was made of poison. But they didn't know that, so there was no reason to legislate it. I mean, if it glows, that's obviously a danger sign. You maybe shouldn't put it in your mouth. But there are plenty of things out there that are just as poisonous that are not advertising just how dangerous they are. The long-term effects of asbestos, for instance, took a while to come in. That's why everyone was so comfortable dumping it on randy little people in The Wizard of Oz. In case you didn't know, it's a very famous trivia point, but the snow in The Wizard of Oz was actually asbestos, and everyone died a horrible death. And asbestos is actually probably a really bad example, because once it became apparent that asbestos shredded your lungs from the inside out, nobody actually wanted to pump the brakes on the gravy train. Asbestos was a big industry, and it still is, and there are still a lot of Tories today who are fighting against asbestos regulations. Looking at you, Julie Bishop... But still, there are certain regulations that you need to follow if you want to work with asbestos because of the aforementioned lung shredding. Things like radiation were much slower to be legislated because it was a brand new science, and you have to cut some slack to people who needed to come to terms with the fact that certain rocks emitted an invisible, intangible death field that melted you if you stood near it for too long. That's a huge leap in imagination for people. So we've got to cut them some slack for taking some time to get there. But now we have global standards on how many sieverts you can consume in a year because some Soviet scientists tried to put out a reactor fire with a garden hose. Safety regulations are built on blood and bones, and a lot of them melted in Chernobyl. My point is that for a lot of the dangerous shit in history, there are reasons that we, as humans, were slow to recognize and act on the risks involved. There are mitigating circumstances. Usually. And then there are the cases where you think, holy fucking shit, how was that ever a good idea at any point? Why did anyone ever sign off on this? And one of those instances is one I want to talk about today instead of doing another eight hours of editing Hannibal fucking Barker. (sighs) So I was looking through the Wikipedia list of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history because I'm a perfectly normal human boy. And one thing that immediately jumped out was the disturbing number of links that were purple because I'd already clicked on them because I visited them when I was doing the show on De Beers. Holy shit, the De Beers company was evil. But we've already been there. And we're talking explosions here, because explosions always make for good entertainment. Cool guys don't look at explosions. They blow things up and then walk away. The one that really caught my eye was the incident with the ship known as the SS Grand Comp, in what will eventually become known as the Texas City Disaster. So you know that's going to end well. This occurred in 1947. A couple of years after mankind had split the atom. So this isn't the Victorian era of disregard for basic humanity and sanctity of human life. People really should have known better back then. 
And I need everyone listening to brace themselves, maybe get an aspirin ready, get your Tylenol out, because you are going to be spending the next 20 or so minutes in exponentially more and more horror at just how fucking stupid people can be. Your jaw is going to be sore because it's going to be gaping for so long at the stupidity of the people involved in this story. And most of this is going to be coming from Terra Pitta's book with the cheery title of Catastrophe, A Guide to the World's Worst Industrial Disasters. So it's a fun read. Once upon a time, there was a ship that went by the name of the SS Grande Comp. It was one of the so-called Liberty Ships, which I should probably do an independent show on one day. So if you can imagine in your head brain what a cargo ship looked like during World War II, that's a Liberty Ship. They were all basically the same. Essentially, since so many ships were being sunk by the Kriegsmarine in the Battle of the Atlantic, the Allies needed a ship design that was cheap and quick to produce to replace those that got sunk by the U-boats every single day. And the design they came up with was the Liberty series, which is why they all look the same. They're all Liberty ships. They're production line cargo ships. They're all 133 meters long, They carry 10,000 tons of cargo, and they all look identical because of the aforementioned Nazi torpedoes. It's the standard cargo ship of the merchant fleet in the mid to late war, so 1942 onwards. I can guarantee that whatever you're imagining, whatever you're thinking a cargo ship looked like during World War II, you are absolutely in the ballpark, they all look the same. And those are Liberty ships. So the SS Grand Comp was one of those. During the war, it was actually known as the SS Benjamin J. Curtis, and then it was mothballed after the conclusion of hostilities in 1945. After that, it was gifted to the French government to help rebuild France's economy after the Nazis had redecorated Paris, and that's where it gets renamed the SS Grande Comp, after the beach Grande Comp Le Bain in Normandy. Nothing like having your grandpappy gunned down by a Spando and then having a ship named after the beach he died on. So the SS Benjamin J. Curtis was now a French ship known as the SS Grande Comp engaging in the post-war trading boom. And in that capacity, it is on its way to the United States with a hold full of goodies. As is the way with international trade, so far, so normal. Right? But what was in the hold of this ship, dear listeners? Well, I'm going to need everyone to hold on to your butts because shit is about to get really wild. As you know, I used to work out at the airport. That means that I am trained and qualified in the handling of dangerous goods. And if you've never done a dangerous goods course, it's basically a one-day course of don't ever put these things together because if you do, it will be bad. Don't put dry ice and pets in a cargo hold. The pets will suffocate because dry ice is carbon dioxide. Don't put ammonia and bleach together because you commit a war crime. Don't put fire and flammable things together because that make you the biggie boom. And it's surprising just how many people I used to work with who struggled with that last one. The don't make the big boom. So anyway, dangerous goods courses became mandatory for port workers, all of them, sometime after the events of this story, because of the events of this story. Because here is what was in the cargo hold of the SS Grand Comp when it pulled into port in Texas City, Texas, in the United States of America. This is why we have dangerous goods courses now. 
because the SS Grand Comp was not filled with fun things. The last stop of the SS Grand Comp before Texas City was a layover in Havana, Cuba, where it picked up a load of surplus ammunition from the recently concluded Second World War. So this ship, in addition to everything else that I'm about to tell you about, this ship is full of actual bombs. Gunpowder, bullets, napalm, it's all there. This alone should have been enough to set off some alarm bells and have people maybe checking the cargo manifest for red flags, but that didn't happen, and that's why we're not doing a show called the Texas City Everything's Okay Time. So the SS Grand Comp is chock full of military surplus explodies. And tobacco. I forgot to mention the tobacco. You don't stop off in Havana without picking up some tobacco. Are you mad? It's Cuba. They do good tobacco, so of course you're going to fill the hold with that. you got to have the big Havana. So right now, as of leaving Havana and heading into Texas City, the SS Grand Comp is less of a ship and more the world's largest stogie. And in addition to all of the explosives on board, it's full of tobacco because that's something else that burns really good. Another thing in the hold was peanut oil. Because that's going to mix really well with everything else that's already on board. Peanut oil is one of the major oils used in the fast food industry. Because peanut oil, unlike something like olive oil for instance, peanut oil has a really high flash point. It takes a lot of heat to make peanut oil burn, which means you can use it to deep fry things like chips. It's great for that. But the trade-off is that if you can get peanut oil past its flashpoint, for instance, I don't know, putting it next to some fucking napalm, it takes a lot of effort to get peanut oil burning, but once it does, it does not want to stop burning. It will burn until doomsday. So there's also a lot of peanut oil in the hold of this ship. And finally, here we go, because why not, the final part of the cargo manifest of the SS Grand Comp was twine. Tons and tons of twine. Twine is highly flammable. In fact, one of the primary uses of twine is in candle wicks. (laughs) What a crappy candle! And that is also in the hold of this ship. So a fair chunk of this cargo hold, which is already filled with great things to make bombs with, It also happens to be filled with actual bombs, and on top of that, fuses to make bombs, because why not go all in on the crazy ideas to ship across the Atlantic meme? So the SS Gronkamp, upon arriving in port at Texas City, was no longer a ship, but, in fact, a bomb. A literal ticking time bomb. Somehow, in defiance of the laws of averages and the will of the Almighty himself, Somehow this ship, which is a 133 meter long bullet, somehow made it all the way from France, all the way across the Atlantic, without exploding spectacularly. Which is honestly impressive. They made it all the way to Cuba, where they took on even more explosives, and they still didn't explode, which is even more miraculous. But if you keep pushing your luck, eventually you are going to roll snake eyes. That's the law of large numbers. And that's what happened in Texas City. Because they weren't done yet. Why not just push your luck a little bit more? So the cargo that they were picking up in Texas City 
which was being added to, and let's take an inventory here, twine, peanut oil, and surplus ammunition, on top of all of that, they're going to be adding nothing other than ammonium nitrate. Just in case you're not a sicko, which is a long shot because you guys are awesome patrons, so you're all like me, but just in case you're a good person, ammonium nitrate is fertilizer. Officially, at least. But all of you know that ammonium nitrate is the most commonly used improvised explosive in the world. It's what terrorists use to make homemade bombs because they can't get a hold of actual bomb stuff. So now, tons and tons of ammonium nitrate are now being added to the already impressive list of bomb products in the hold of the SS Grand Comp. And I've seen the actual load sheet for this ship, and it horrifies me as a former ramp operations supervisor. If I were building a bomb, this is exactly how I would go about it. I would pack the ingredients in just like they did. If I were building a bomb. As far as ships go, no, this is not a good idea. But as far as creating an incredibly powerful non-nuclear explosive, take it away, Montel Jordan. And here is where it gets really interesting. As Wharfies were loading the ammonium nitrate onto the ship, they noticed that the bags of ammonium were unusually hot to the touch. Which should be a bit of a red flag. Nothing that explosive should ever be that hot to the touch. But they kept loading them anyway because, hey, we've got quotas to fill, families to feed, FDR's dead, you gotta do what you gotta do. So they kept loading the ammonium nitrate onto the ship. And this particular blend of ammonium nitrate that they were using back in 1947, it was extra spicy. Why is it spicy? In modern times, mostly because of what's about to happen here, you're not allowed to make ammonium nitrate the way they did back in the good old days. It's got to be a lot more stable now. There's a lot more safety measures. Back then, in 1947, it used petroleum jelly, rosin, and paraffin to keep the mix from going stale, which it does, but all of those things together make for a highly volatile mix that wants to explode. It doesn't need much convincing at the best of times which is why these bags were hot to the touch, and nobody seemed overly concerned by this. Hey boss, the bomb components we're loading onto the bomb ship with all of the other bomb stuff is hot to the touch. Should we keep adding it to the actual bomb stuff? What am I, a scientician? Just keep loading them crates. Forget about it. So they did. They kept loading the the hot-to-the-touch ammonium nitrate onto the ship next to the ammunition, the peanut oil, and twine. Oh, and one more thing. Remember, this is happening in 1947. The good old days. So of course everyone smoked and nobody gave a fuck. At least one of the longshoremen who was loading the SS Grand Comp threw his used cigarette butt in the, and I cannot emphasize this enough, he threw his expired cigarette butt in the frighteningly large explosive pile on the ship. Again, No red flags. Nobody batted an eyelid about throwing a cigarette onto a bomb. Inflammable means flammable? What a country! 
And cigarettes, being cigarettes, you know, they do what they do, being thrown onto a bag of ammonium nitrate caused a small fire. I know, I'm as shocked as anyone else. So now there's a fire in the hold containing ammonium nitrate, which is highly explosive, twine, which is highly flammable, peanut oil, which is even more flammable, tobacco, because why not, you need that smooth menthol flavor, and actual bombs, which are explosive and flammable. But nothing has exploded yet. This is only a small fire. This can still be contained. This is not a big deal. You just put the fire out, right? I mean, that's a sensible thing to do, isn't it? I mean, it's easy. It's on a ship. It's already in the water. Why not use the water to make the fire go away? Surely that's a good idea. A couple of the crew used a fire extinguisher and a jug of water to try and put out the fire, which is, again, in the ammonium nitrate. And, being a single fire extinguisher and a jug of water, it was exactly as effective as you think it would be. It did bupkis. So the people trying to put fire out, they radio up to the captain asking what to do because they can't put the fire out because the entire hold is highly flammable and they're using a jug to try and put out a fire. So they radio the captain for help. Please advise. Now, what would you do in this situation? What would you do if you were the captain of the SS Grand Comp at this point? Did you say, lock the holds so that they're airtight and hopefully smother the fire? Because that's exactly what the captain actually did. Instead of using water or hoses or traditional firefighting methods, he tried to choke the fire by taking away the oxygen. He locked and sealed all of the bulkheads in the cargo hold. The captain was concerned that flooding the hold would ruin the goods on board the ship. That's going to cost money, and capitalism does not like it when you lose money for something stupid like putting out a fire. So instead of risking water damage to the cargo in the hold, the captain orders that the hold be sealed. And you can kind of see what he's going for here, right? Fire needs oxygen to burn, so you just suck all of the oxygen out, and no oxygen, no fire. Easy. So seal off the holds, the fire will burn itself out, we're all good. And this is the worst possible thing you can do. Because what do bombs need to explode? That's right, they need pressure. The captain... Instead of putting the fire out, the captain had turned the SS Grandcomp into the world's largest pipe bomb. Fire might need oxygen to burn, sure, and there's no more oxygen in the hold. But the captain was a captain, and not a chemist. And he hadn't done the same dangerous goods course that I did back in the day because it did not exist at this point. So he didn't know that fire needs oxygen, sure, but there's still plenty of shit that can go wrong without oxygen. For instance, if you've got loose bags of ammonium nitrate lying around. Ammonium nitrate brings its own oxygen to the party. And in this environment, it turned into nitrous oxide, also known as laughing gas, also known as the stuff they use in the Fast and the Furious when they want the cars to go really fast while they stare at each other homoerotically. The nitro button. That's nitrous oxide. Family. 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 
the hold of the Gronkamp is now filling with nitrous, which is growing exponentially, increasing the pressure of this, again, airtight hold. Meanwhile, the fire keeps burning because ammonium doesn't need oxygen. It's good on its own. The fire department gets called because it's a fire, right? So you call the fire department. And with sirens blaring, the volunteer fire department of the Texas City port arrives on the scene and they get to work. Orange smoke begins billowing out of the SS Grand Comp, and it's orange because of all the nitrous dioxide fumes that are burning off. It's not black, it's orange. People begin gathering on the shore to watch this because orange smoke is interesting. You don't often see that, right? So they start rubbernecking. And everyone on shore thinks they're a safe distance away because they're on shore. It turns out, and they will later learn this, that a safe distance from this thing would have been on the fucking moon. But they didn't know that at this point. So, between all of the people working on the ship, and in the docks, and on all the other ships working there, the surrounding factories, emergency services, and just good old-fashioned rubberneckers, there are thousands and thousands of people in the vicinity of the SS Grand Comp. The Grand Comp continues to burn. Firefighters continue to try and contain it, but they can't. It's only a matter of time before one of the hatch seals breaks. Which it does. At 8 a.m. on Wednesday the 16th of April 1947, the SS Comp's hold finally gives out. And that leads to a catastrophic loss of pressure in the entire ship. What was, up until this point, the world's largest pipe bomb, behaves exactly like the world's largest pipe bomb would. The pressure does exactly what pressure does, and the ship's superstructure cannot take it anymore. The SS Gronkamp explodes. Spectacularly. The ship disappeared in an instant. It gets vaporized. As does anyone still on board it at the time, both crew and firefighters. The port of Texas City is also wiped off the map. In fact, everything within 300 meters disintegrates. The shockwave travels over a hundred miles. It breaks windows in New Orleans. They will eventually find the ship's anchor, which weighs over two tons. They find that a couple of kilometers away in an impact crater, and I'm quoting the report here, 10 feet deep. It hit like a meteor. Neighboring ships docked in the port next to the Grand Comp get blown apart. The people watching from the shore get knocked over at the very least. Some of them are instantly killed. Others are hit by the supersonic flying shrapnel, burning hot peanut oil, and tobacco for that smooth taste. Two aircraft that happened to be flying overhead at the time were obliterated by the shockwave. So add them to the casualties too. This is a very big explosion. This is easily one of the largest explosions ever created by man, including the nuclear ones. The shockwave from the explosion creates a tidal wave that creates even more havoc. It washes other ships inland, crashing them into buildings hundreds of meters away from the shore. 
onlookers who survived the initial explosion were knocked down by the subsequent tsunami, the water rushing away from the bay, and those that were fortunate enough to survive that were then sucked into the resulting vacuum, with some of them drowning as the water rushed back in. One police officer who was attending to the emergency recounted how one minute he was standing on the dock holding the perimeter of the vessel, the next thing he can remember, he was on the roof of a factory 200 meters away. A guy called Jim Newland, a longshoreman who was loading the vessel, he tells of how he was walking back to the warehouse to pick up another bag of ammonium nitrate. The next thing he knows, he was a mile inland. A mile completely naked except for the collar of his shirt and his shoes. The rest of it was blown off in the explosion. Or so he says. It's a likely story. But he's not the only witness who thought that they were experiencing Judgment Day. Pieces of the ship, as in large, multi-ton pieces of the SS Gronkamp, rained down around Texas City for nearly 20 minutes. It's raining ship. I've seen footage of the aftermath of the explosion, and it looks exactly like footage of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's the same level of destruction. In fact, it happened, it just so happened, that the photographer of the local newspaper actually happened to be a former war correspondent who was present for the occupation of Japan, and he said, oh yep, that's exactly what it looks like when a nuclear bomb hits. So I'm not just taking liberties here, we have primary sources saying that that's the level of boom that went off. But that's just the beginning. Remember that the Grand Comp was filled with peanut oil and twine? That has all been set on fire and launched into the air faster than the speed of sound. Homemade napalm rains down on the entire state of Texas for the next hour. This starts a chain reaction of smaller explosions, especially in the port itself, which just so happened to be filled with similar ships with similarly explosive cargoes. Burning balls of twine rain down onto factories that surround the port like firebombs. They fall into chimneys and smokestacks and ignite the chemicals inside these factories. The factories catch fire and add that to the casualties. There was a Monsanto chemical plant just across the bay from the explosion. That now explodes too, killing nearly 200 people who had the misfortune of working there that morning. As fire is raining down on the ruined port like the apocalypse, rescue workers do what they can to stem the bleeding. It's chaos, as you can imagine. The port is leveled, buildings are flattened, hundreds if not thousands of people are dead and dying, and it is still raining flaming peanut oil from the skies. It is absolute chaos everywhere in the south of Texas right now. But there's another incident that we really need to pay attention to. As if the explosion of the SS Gronkamp was not the worst thing to happen that day. It gets even worse. Rescue workers running to the small metal fragments that used to be the SS Gronkamp notice another ship on fire in the port. This was the SS High Flyer. The SS High Flyer was a similar ship to the Gronkamp. It was also bound for Europe. It was also being loaded with ammonium nitrate, headed to France to help the recovery of the fields destroyed in the Second World War, and also highly, highly explosive. And the SS High Flyer also happened to be on fire. Because there were a lot of things on fire. Rescue workers reported this, 
the fire aboard the SS High Flyer, but they had bigger fish to fry right now, such as the fact that it was literally raining fire and shrapnel in a hundred mile radius. So they radio into headquarters that the SS High Flyer is about to be the SS High Fryer, but nobody logs that fact because everyone is either super busy right now or otherwise indisposed on account of being dead. So while the situation with the Gronkomp is being dealt with, everyone sort of forgets that the High Flyer is quite literally a smoldering fuse. A few hours later, the ground crews finally remember that report that the High Flyer was also in trouble. But by that point, it's just too far gone. There's nothing they can do. It was also going through the same nitrous oxide sublimation, but it was doing it more slowly because the captain of that ship wasn't an idiot and didn't decide to turn the whole thing into a pipe bomb. So that's why it took longer to blow up. The High Flyer was evacuated, along with everyone in the surrounding area, but rescuers were adamant that the High Flyer, which again was identical to the Gronkamp, it had exactly the same cargo as the Gronkamp, The firefighters insisted that even though this ship was on fire and filled with explosives, it was not a serious risk. They didn't think it was worth worrying about because, and I'm quoting the after-action report here, quote, The ammonium nitrate in the vessel was unlikely to catch fire. End quote. So they believed that the flammable ammonium nitrate was not going to catch fire even while they're wading through flaming ammonium nitrate. The SS Gronkamp had just exploded due to flaming ammonium nitrate. But don't worry about the high flyer because there's no way that the exact same thing is going to happen a second time under exactly the same circumstances. So they leave the high flyer there to simmer for a few hours and just get exponentially worse. And that's the narratively perfect point where the local army base happens to send some of its explosive experts out to help with the rescue and recovery effort. Future demo here. I said army, I meant navy. And as the navy bomb squad gets there, they meet up with the firefighters, and the firefighters on the scene say, oh yeah, that's the high flyer, it's full of ammonium nitrate and it's on fire, but don't worry, it's not going to explode. And the navy bomb squad experts immediately turn around and run. And when a bomb expert runs, you don't ask questions, you just try to keep up. As it turns out, the SS High Flyer was not okay, it was in fact about to explode. And now, flaming peanut oil and pig shit start raining down on Texas for a second time that day. The only thing that stopped the SS High Flyer from being the deadliest industrial accident in the history of the United States was the fact that pretty much everything that could be destroyed had been destroyed a few hours earlier in the explosion of the SS Gronkamp, which actually is the deadliest industrial accident in the history of the United States. Yes, it happened twice. Within 24 hours. Fires raged through Texas City for days afterwards. The heat and smoke were so intense that there was no chance of fighting these fires. People just had to try and get out of the way. And a lot of them didn't make it. This was 1947. There were a lot of impoverished immigrants, especially people from the Caribbean, who worked as undocumented longshoremen and lived in favelas surrounding the port. The fire was particularly unforgiving to those shanty towns, and there were few survivors from the slums. 
Explosions rocked the town for hours after the two ships exploded, as more and more infrastructure gave way to what was, essentially, a World War-level firebombing. The town glowed, and the smoke could be seen from two states away. When the flames finally died down, 581 people were killed, by the initial explosion of the SS Gronkamp, the subsequent explosion of the SS Highflyer, and the firestorm that followed. Of those 581 people, 63 of them were too far gone to identify. Another 113 people were listed as missing because they never found any trace of them. This included the crew of the Gronkamp, who were all completely vaporized by the explosion. 27 of the 28 members of the volunteer fire crew were killed in a similar fashion. They were atomized. These numbers, of course, are only official. Like I said, there were thousands of undocumented people in and around the docks that day, and they don't get included in the casualty report, and they never will. Additionally, the personnel and payroll records of the docks and the surrounding factories were destroyed in the firestorm, so it will never be known exactly how many people never actually turned up again. It is the biggest industrial disaster in U.S. history. Not world history, just U.S. history, but it is interesting that this is the biggest industrial disaster not directly caused by the company Union Carbide. So, credit where due, Union Carbide didn't actually cause this one. They were still involved, because who do you think provided the ammonium nitrate, but at least this time it wasn't directly their fault. And to think... All of this would not have happened if the captain of the ship, who got Dr. Manhattaned by his own stupidity, none of this would have happened if the captain would have just used water to put out the fire, instead of worrying about the insurance premiums and what the carpet strollers back at headquarters were going to think of it. We have regulations now. For instance, you're not allowed to smoke around high explosives anymore, and you have to do a four-hour online course about dangerous goods if you're trying to load, say, a metal tube that flies in defiance of God's will. And as with all regulations, they're built on the blood and bones of people who didn't have the protection of such regulations. And as ever, the Tories will continue to try and tear down those protections because they're Tories. And if it seems like I'm continually Tory bashing, because I am, the Tory leader of Australia, Peter the Potato Dutton, has actually just voted no to increased workplace protections. As in, he voted no a couple of hours ago as of recording. So I'll stop doing the Tory bashing if they stop being shit people. And I can't see either of those happening. Anyway, that's the crazy story of the SS Grand Comp. One of those crazy stories that I feel compelled to share because of how, well, how crazy it is. And because it has absolutely nothing to do with Hannibal. I needed to cleanse the palate, so I hope that was acceptable. The next proper show will be out soon. I'm actually editing it when I'm not editing this show, and I'm about halfway through. So it's going to be at least six hours long, so it's going to be a good show and you're going to enjoy it, but I guess I'd better get back to it. The dreaded Hannibal. Oh well, this was fun while it lasted. Catch you on the flip side. Thanks for being awesome.